Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. House Republicans have succeeded in passing a defense authorization bill, typically not controversial, in this case one that takes aim at social issues inside the Pentagon, following another 24 hours of intense debate here inside the Capitol. Just focus on the military. Stop using taxpayer money to do their own wokeism. A military cannot defend themselves if you train them in woke. We don't want Disneyland to train our military. We want our men and women in the military to have every defense possible. And that's what our bill does. The money focuses directly on their quality of life and more importantly, on the investment. This amendment does nothing to address the recruitment shortfalls that our services are facing. And instead, it will only make it more difficult to recruit Americans on diverse backgrounds, representing the true makeup of our nation. What are you so afraid of? Why do you keep bringing these divisive issues to the body of this floor? You are out of order. You are exhausting, Mr. The gentleman is no longer recognized. The gentleman is no longer recognized. Just a taste from the last 24 hours inside the House of Representatives. Speaker Kevin McCarthy today taking the victory lap after the vote. That did include four, four Democrats. 219 to 210, the final. A magnet for culture wars, as I read from Roxana Tiron on the terminal, over far-right House Republican demands to load the crucial national security legislation with hot-button topics. Let's get straight to the Hill and a conversation with Bloomberg congressional reporter Eric Wasson, who's been watching all of this unfold before his eyes. Eric, this is a win for Speaker McCarthy, but it doesn't have much promise going anywhere from here, does it? Well, it's certainly the House position. It's a very partisan bill. Usually we see this national defense bill pass the House in something like a 300 to 100 vote with progressives normally voting against it. Uh, but this was very, very close because uh, all the security hawks on the Democratic side bolted, with the exception of four, as you mentioned, uh, over these uh, hot button issues, especially the abortion one. There, you know, this denies funding to allow uh, troops to travel uh, in order to obtain an abortion in a state where it's uh, still legal. So, you know, that's going to, you know, come up against the Senate NDAA a defense bill that's going to reach the floor starting next week. And uh, ultimately, uh, there's going to be a conference committee. But I think a lot of those hot button issues will probably drop out. I don't see the president signing a bill with them in it. Yes, right. A statement uh, from Congressman Chip Roy, the Freedom Caucus. House Republicans successfully passed my amendments to ban critical race theory. At Department of Defense schools, prevent the DOD from reestablishing chief diversity officers and stop defense dollars from going to President Biden's radical climate change agenda. Critically, he says, House Republicans also passed my and Rep. Ronnie Jackson's amendment to stop funding the Pentagon's abortion travel fund, among other wins, as he refers to them, such as halting taxpayer funding for gender transition surgeries in the military. Does any of this end up in a final product? 
Well, you know, uh, we see a lot of effort on this diversity, inclusion, critical race theory. I mean, it's a small dollar amount, maybe something like that. But uh, in the end of the day, this was a very tough vote, I think, for a lot of moderates, especially New York Republicans or other swing district Republicans, you know, who had to basically swallow these amendments. They're going to see already a Democratic attack saying, you know, you voted, uh, you know, to uh, to block abortion, uh, to do other things that maybe independent voters in those districts don't like. It was also a tough vote for some, I think, uh, Democratic caucus. You know, you have people like Ruben Gallego running for Senate in Arizona having to vote against, you know, a defense bill. It's just a, it's a tough vote all around. But at the end of the day, probably voters will forget it. Uh, we're going to see them come together before the end of the year on a compromise package where they can, uh, mm-hmm. you know, establish their bona fides there. Eric, thanks for the update. Eric Wasson, Bloomberg congressional reporter, firsthand insights there from someone actually in the halls of Congress after the vote last night. On this vote, the yeas are 219 and the nays are 210. The bill is passed without objection. A motion to reconsider this is laid on the table. There it is. As you just heard, 219, 210, four Democrats uh, required to do that. It was actually not last night. It was a short time ago, uh, earlier today in Washington. Let's assemble the panel for their take. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Happy Friday to both of you. Uh, Rick, uh, that was uh, some pretty wild decorum on the floor when this really got down uh, to the brass tacks last night going into this morning. We had a tough rules committee hearing over the course of two days. Why would Speaker McCarthy invite or, or allow all of this? Yeah, look, I mean, he's in a trap, right? He doesn't have very much power. Uh, it's being driven really from the far right, uh, the MAGA right, uh, the, the Freedom Caucus. And, and we saw that in full display. They took control of the debate on the House floor. And there's nothing really that the speaker can do to shut them down because they have a trigger, you know, on the gun that, you know, keeps him in the speakership. And so uh, this is a really bad slippery slope that's been created. And and not just because of the debate being so jaded uh, when it comes to non-defense related discussions. But the reality is this has been uh, a very bipartisan bill and it always passes, right? This Mm -hmm. is the one bill a year that's that's, (laughs) that's going to happen, right? No matter what, because the defense of our nation is utmost in our uh, in our leaders' minds, except for yesterday, and 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 so I worry that this kind of lack of control, lack of power that the speaker has, starts us down a track where all of a sudden we can't say that about the NDA anymore, and then we're in real trouble uh, if we don't maintain some level of bipartisanship in our national defense. Um, then it's going to make us weaker as a nation. Jeannie, we talked to Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, a Democrat from Virginia. About this last night, she knows what it means to serve uh, her country, and she has a lot of active duty members of the military living in her district and didn't seem terribly worried while she didn't like what was happening, didn't seem terribly worried about the outcome. Listen to what she said. I think ultimately Pentagon funding isn't at risk. But what we know is happening, at least here in the House of Representatives, uh, is that there is a a relatively unserious effort at trying to uh, make substantial changes to what is usually a must pass wholly bipartisan piece of legislation. Essentially what Rick uh, just said. Jeannie, do you share her thought that while we have a lot of noise and concern right now and and some in some cases ugly debate, this ends up uh, being the traditional bill when it's passed in the end? It will. Absolutely. There is no way the Senate passes the bill with the amendments that were put forward today. Um, It's going they're all going to get swept out. They will pass a bill funding the military. But so the real danger here is uh, 
to Kevin McCarthy himself. You know, I know people are describing this as a win for Kevin McCarthy. That is, you know, head scratching to me because how is this a win for Kevin McCarthy? Let's just think about it. This is a gift, number one, for the Biden campaign who want them to do these extreme things and describe them as extremist MAGA Republicans as they go into the next election cycle. This could very well cost Kevin McCarthy his speakership, if not because he gets booted out by one or two of his own members putting his his name up, but because in the next election cycle, as Eric just described, those New Yorkers in those districts where Biden won are going to get killed by an amendment like we saw about abortion. You know, Abigail Spangberger, one-fifth of members in the military are women, and then you add in the spouses, and they are denying women health care that is legal in this country. That's what they voted to do today. It's not going to pass. It won't become law. The military will be funded. They've just put their own seats on the line. That's all they've done. And they've put Kevin McCarthy's head on the chopping block for next year. So I don't see this as a win for him. I see this as a huge loss for him. And it brings the military into a battle over the culture wars that they don't need to be in at a time when we desperately need recruits of all kinds and not to be describing the military as somehow woke, but the greatest military in the world that it should be and it should be supported. This, of course, comes at the same time that Senator Tommy Tuberville, as we've discussed on this program, Rick, uh, is is blocking promotions in the military, hundreds now at this point, over that same abortion policy at the Pentagon. This is this is coming from all sides at the DOD right now. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, this is sort of the Republican backlash to the Biden agenda, right? I mean, the Biden agenda was add a lot of diversity, mm-hmm. you know, add a lot of this kind of training to uh, the core to make them more uh, sensitive. What does uh, the brass think? Uh, well, I mean, the brass, you know, they salute the president and say, yes, sir. They don't yeah. make policy. Uh, the severe civilian leadership, uh, uh, Secretary Austin, has been very quiet about this. In fact, I think one of the problems that's been enunciated by um, both uh, Tommy in the Senate and uh, some of the House members is that they get no communication back on what, how these programs are being run. What are they doing? So in, in, in lieu of a civilian leader from the Pentagon engaging with Capitol Hill to you know, sort of sell the program, you're going to have this kind of backlash. And, and I think that it, 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 it's incumbent upon uh, Secretary Austin and the Biden administration to sell some of these ideas. It's not just operate in a vacuum because the NDAA is a policy document. It's not a funding document. The funding for the Defense Department may get caught up in this, you know, battle we have over appropriations and we may not get government funding. That's a different problem. But for policy, there has to be active engagement between uh, the Defense Department, the Biden administration and um, and the Hill to forge these kinds of things. It's not a unilateral approach. Spending time with Rick and Jeannie, and I have to ask you both about this exchange that took place on the floor last night that is uh, really it's got, caught on fire on social media and has uh, it led to not only a rebuke to a, a, a Republican member on the floor, but he had to apologize now, and that would be Eli Crane of Arizona, reprimanded after he uh, used a certain turn of phrase in trying to make his case for ending so-called woke policy, in this case diversity uh, policy, at the Pentagon. This is a bit of an extended exchange that you'll start hearing now, Eli Crane. My amendment has nothing to do with whether or not colored people or black people or anybody can serve. Okay, it has nothing to do with color, skin, any of that stuff. What we want to what we want to preserve and maintain is the fact that our military does not become a social experiment. 
We want the best of the best. We want to have standards that guide who, who's in what unit, what they do. And I'm going to tell you guys right, right now, the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, they are not, they are not doing this because they want the strongest military possible. Gentlemen, I hope my colleagues on the other side can understand what we're doing. Thank you so much. Doesn't seem Mrs. to have a sense of what he just said. This is Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, a Democrat from Ohio. Colored people. For what purposes generally seek recognition? I'd like to be recognized to have the words colored people stricken uh, from the record. I find it offensive and very inappropriate. She's the former head of the Congressional Black Caucus. Is a gentlelady asking for unanimous consent to take down the words? I am asking for unanimous consent to take down the words of referring to me or any of my colleagues as colored people. They did end up striking those words uh, from the record, even though he attempted to amend uh, what he first said. And the congresswoman, uh, the congressman, I should say, Eli Crane, is out uh, with an apology of sorts. Olivia Beaver's tweeting that Crane tells me he deeply regrets using the words colored people on the House floor yesterday, says he misspoke and is sorry that his words hurt people and is mad at himself that it has blown back on his team. Uh, Jeannie, I don't get a sense in watching that and listening to it that he had any idea what he said wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure he did in the moment, but good for the Congresswoman for calling it out, for it being struck from the record. It was stunning and shocking to hear anywhere in 2023 or at any time, but particularly on the floor of the House. And, you know, it's I'm, I'm glad the representative has apologized, but the reality is he was arguing that promoting diversity makes the U.S. military weaker. And that, you know, the words aside, which were horrific and he should apologize and did, how does diversity in any institution, the U.S. military is the most diverse institution in our lives at this point, proudly mm-hmm. so and should be. And he's arguing that taking diversity into account makes us weaker. That he needs to explain in addition to apologizing for his very poor choice of words. Uh, obviously not a good look for Republicans. Uh, Rick, how does this resonate back home for him in Arizona? Well, you know, his district is a weird district. It's all the rural counties of Arizona except for Phoenix. So he represents okay. literally almost the entire state. Um, just, you know, the, 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 the 15 million people in Phoenix are outside his district. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a wacky district in the sense that there's no urban areas in it. Um, two, uh, the thing I was most struck by is the moral equivalency of what he's trying to achieve by saying, well, you know, the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians, they don't, they don't do, do this that, stuff. Yeah. They're authoritarian <laughs> regimes. I mean, of course they don't do it. They don't ask anybody's opinion. So, like, comparing the two is insane. Yeah. Well, apparently he's sorry, and it certainly did not help to bring lawmakers back together. With the panel, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. 
So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. We appreciate your joining us here as we spend some final moments with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Final thoughts for the weekend as Speaker McCarthy feels pretty good about passing the NDAA and he took a, a couple of minutes, maybe it was more like an hour, in the rotunda where they set up the velvet ropes for a selfie line. Hi. I got to be you in like the simulation we did. I was the Speaker of the House. Yeah. Awesome. Smile right here. Perfect. It didn't take you 15 rounds to win, though, did it? No, it didn't. Only you, the Speaker, uh, talking with a couple of young ladies there who had the opportunity uh, to take a selfie with the Speaker, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Uh, back with us here. Is this is this a first for the House? Is this a good look for the Speaker, Rick? Well, <clears throat> I, definitely a first by my estimation, at least without a cardboard cutout actually being the Speaker. <laughs> kind of looked like he was one, actually, at that point. Jeannie, is this about connecting? We always call it the People's House. Is connecting with people here, at least. He is, and I seldom praise Kevin McCarthy, but good for him and great for that young woman. I do a lot of simulations with students. It is an amazing thing to you do. do. What oh, do like? what, what's a simulation like? Joe, you're going to come in. We'll give I'd you a role. To. It's a crisis. You got to resolve it. And look at this young lady. She got elected on less than what 15 ballots. She said. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. You do simulations like that when when you're running campaigns, right? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> You do the real thing. It's a little bit different. Speaker McCarthy, if you rewind uh, Rick Davis, not really even that long ago, uh, following those 15 rounds, the whole conversation was about motion to vacate. It's going to get fired any day now. Where does he stand at this point? Look, I mean, you know, as long as he keeps kowtowing to the Freedom Caucus, which he just finished doing before he got his selfies done, um, you know, then he's probably not going to get attacked for uh, uh, that. But the reality is the minute he shows any courage and says no to these guys, uh, he's going to he's going to be under the gun. So uh, I, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if he makes it, you know. Uh, he'll make it through the uh, the summer because they go yeah. on recess soon. But, sure. you know, can he make it through the year? The budget uh, battle especially. He certainly didn't say no about the NDAA. Then again, he got four Democrats to vote with him. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, great conversation as ever here on the fastest show in politics. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Looks like a pretty big haul. Even Rick Davis was impressed last hour. President Biden, $72 million in the second quarter, allaying the fears, as I read on the terminal of some big donors that the campaign was off to a slow start. It's been quiet, maybe intentionally here. And, of course, he's working with the Democratic National Committee and state parties 
Uh, the campaign reported $77 million cash on hand, which it says represents the highest total amassed by a Democrat at any comparable point in history. Is that true? Either way, he doesn't need to blow a bunch of money uh, on the primaries, and that's why this is even more powerful, knowing that he's looking ahead to the general election. And you put it in comparison here to what uh, Donald Trump pulled, it's more than twice, and people were pretty impressed with that more than $30 million haul by Donald Trump. We're joined here in Washington by Ryan Teak, back with Bloomberg Politics reporter who's got his eyes on everything here on the campaign trail, and obviously the Biden campaign, Ryan, it's great to see, is one that we don't talk a lot about because... He's traveling the world as the president of the United States. Right. I mean, everything he does right now is both as president and as candidate. But, you know, you feel kind of cheesy being like, oh, well, how does uh, whatever's going on with NATO apply to his campaign? (laughs) So we cover it as, you know, he's the president. And I I, I think we should. But he had a very good week. uh, And. It kind of a little prematurely. This is the sort of thing that you do as in your second term as president, where you start going overseas and uh, shaking world leaders' hands because there's not much for you to do in Congress anymore. Uh, so he's hitting that phase a little bit early, <laughs> but um, but he had a good week. Uh, he he gave a big speech, and uh, you know a lot of people turned out for him in Vilnius. And then this, yes. these fundraising numbers are just incredible. And an impressive number of of smaller donations, uh, which was the key to Barack Obama's success and even has been Donald Trump. His average was thirty four dollars and twenty cents, I believe, on his thirty five million dollar haul. Does it lead us to come to any conclusions, knowing that sometimes money can tell you more than polling at this state of the game? You know, I I think that the polling still shows you that people are not like in love with Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are not the the Obama people. Man, they just love that guy. And they were so excited for that guy. And nobody is like that excited about Biden. So I think you're seeing two things. And one is um, for big money donors, this is just putting down a marker on thinking that Biden's going to win a second term Mm -hmm. and money is a way of ensuring that your email gets responded to. Um, so he's doing well on that front because I think people are looking at the field and thinking that his chances are decent right now. Uh, on the small dollar donors, I think it's probably a little bit more comparable to what you saw right after Trump was elected when suddenly like the ACLU was just raking in money. It's not because people were suddenly waking up and going, man, I just love the ACLU and everything that they do. Right. It's because – they were looking for an outlet to express their displeasure mm-hmm. at what was going on on the other side. Trump has been in the news constantly. Uh, he's in. He's sometimes on my TV more than than Biden for and that? not for positive things, not for policy proposals or things that he's saying, but for indictments and uh, you know the his lashing out over indictments and uh, things like that. So I think that that may be driving some of the small dollar uh, donors to sort of who are looking for an outlet to just kind of say, not this. Make a statement. Uh, There was a lot of concern around the Biden camp following the Supreme Court ruling on student loan debt forgiveness, student debt forgiveness. And some thought, geez, you know, maybe this mobilizes voters the way the Dobbs decision did. But at the same time, Democrats were angry at the president for not finding a way to get it done. And you're sharing a byline on an important story about that here, the administration to forgive $39 billion in student debt. This is a different wrinkle on what we had before. Well, maybe that'll free up some money in their budget I for monthly so. donations to Biden. <laughs> um, the problem with this particular one, so so there's two paths really for Biden to do some student debt forgiveness. And one is basically to try again 
at what he did with the $400 billion plan that the Supreme Court turned down, um, but using a different rationale. And and that's essentially daring the Supreme Court like, OK, you didn't like the rationale for what I did. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do it with a different rationale. And if you tear that one down, then it's obvious that you just are trying to stop me from doing something. Um, it's also probably on more solid legal footing than the other plan, um, but takes a little bit longer to implement. So he's not going to get the immediate reward from it. Uh, by doing it that way. At the same time, the administration has looked at basically every other program that exists to give some relief to student debt and said, is there a way we can juice this up? And that's what they're doing here. They're basically taking a program where people who have been paying on a student loan for like 20 years yep. uh, and you know still owe money uh, can get relief. And they were basically just saying, we're going to count some more payments that you may have made during the 20 years to get more people to the 20-year mark and forgive their debt. The problem for Biden is that the people who are the most uh, – that he really needs to win over are younger voters. Uh, these people who have been paying for 20 years are definitionally not younger. And uh, my apologies to all of you who <laughs> are turning 42 uh, right now. But, yeah, the, this isn't the group that he really most needs to uh, win over. Um, but it is a group of people who are distressed, and this is a, a chunk of change, about a tenth of what the other program would have done. It's a chunk of change that frees some money up in people's budgets, and, and it's a tangible win, mm-hmm. uh, which is – he's doing a lot of that. I, he's almost like running f- as like the points guy, you know, like the, the <laughs> American Express card that you get some cash back. I mean he's, he's putting money in your wallet with the student debt forgiveness. He's got these other plans on like junk fees that yes, right. tr- resorts charge Each you. one pulls in a couple of dollars, a couple yeah, voters. Yeah, I mean it, it, they're, they're not big things, but you know there's a theory in presidential politics that you can win by putting points on the board. Mm-hmm. And I think you saw this in, in the uh, Clinton re-election campaign where he was talking about putting more cops on the streets and – you know, midnight basketball and the V chip. We were going to make it so that oh, there was wow. less offensive stuff on TV. That clearly didn't work. Um, but <laughs> you know, introducing you, the internet, you can do these little small things and and hope that people sort of notice them. And even though they're not huge, they start to add up, and you start to feel like this is a guy who's on my side. The numbers in your story about the student debt tell their own story because I couldn't have imagined. That 804,000 borrowers have been making payments for 20 to 25 years? That really illustrates the issue here, actually, for a lot of people might not be aware of that. I mean, some of these loans, uh, there was a recent analysis in the New York Times, and not to you know talk about a competitor, but a very good analysis that basically looked at some space. loans and and said these the, there was no way these were ever going to be paid back. Mm-hmm. I, the, the problem that you ran into with some of these loans, so the way they were structured, is that you aren't um, – you aren't keeping up. The principal isn't getting paid down, yeah, right. and so some people are ending up owing more than they it just borrowed. Keeps getting bigger. And and if you it, you know the promise of this always was if you go to college you'll earn more money, and that's true for most people, but for a lot of people it's not. And so what happens if you take out these loans? You did what you were told, you you know, and then but you didn't necessarily see that uh, increase in your wages from going to college. Um, wasn't necessarily a bad decision for you to go to college, but it, financially, you're not able to pay those loans down sure. fast enough. Well, we all remember famously, right? Barack Obama and Michelle Obama were still paying 
their student loans when they got to the White House. They didn't pay them off. Well, the, you know, if you want to pay your student loans off, then just become president. That's I correct. Mean, that's it does help a lot. very viable program. Write a couple of books. One person every four years. So, you know, Joe Biden says, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. Uh, do these numbers change when it's an actual head-to-head? You know, he's got 39%, 42%, depending on the poll you're looking at. Is it different when it's not hypothetical? I mean, I, I definitely... There's a lot of polls right now that show a very close race between Trump and Biden. Yeah. I think those are uh, very interesting to pay close attention to, but they're also still hypothetical, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's um, a lot of times people and asked a hypothetical question will answer kind of the same way that a politician would. Which so it is, is like, different when it's real. Yeah. I think if you really get down to it, you know, and and everyone's attention is focused on whatever it is that Trump you know, if he's the nominee, whatever arguments it was that he made mm-hmm. to get that nomination, whatever he chooses to say in his convention speech or, you know, whatever were the winning issues for him, those those will sort of define, you know, yeah. what his campaign is about to a lot of people who probably have contradictory thoughts about Trump at times, which I think the polling can't quite capture. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Uh, also, keep in mind that a lot of his legal problems, uh, you know, are going to come to a head in the midst of all of this, like Absolutely. next summer, unless he gets a, a lot of lucky breaks. At least one of even these this cases. summer with Fulton County potentially. It's, yeah, it's, we got a, we've got a long way to go here. Yeah, but those could be coming to a head right in the middle of the time when he's being That's defined right. as Absolutely. a general election campaign uh, candidate next year. I appreciate your coming. I love talking to Ryan Teak Beckwith. Don't, don't be a stranger. Uh, find him on the terminal, Bloomberg Politics Reporter. Ryan Teak back with here in Washington. I'm Joe Matthew. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. You know, it's going to be interesting when Congresswoman Katie Porter pulls out the whiteboard in a congressional hearing, as the Democrat from California did yesterday in a House Oversight and Accountability subcommittee hearing on financial waste in the Department of Defense. The witnesses were officials from the DOD, the Pentagon's Office of Inspector General, and the U.S. Government Accountability Office. Congresswoman Porter pulls out the whiteboard And it looks like something from Jeopardy. She wanted to play a game. So let's do it right now. The game she designed was called Jeopardy. Get it? Jeopardy for the Department of Defense. On Jeopardy, we have categories like waste, missing guardrails, and enablers. Congresswoman, let's set it up. Let's get started, Mr. Tanaglia. Enablers for 100. Okay. A president who called how much we spend on defense crazy, mm-hmm. but let defense spending grow by over 100 billion in one term. I don't know the answer to that oh, question. Oh, no. Really? Come on. You don't know who called the defense budget crazy? No. Who is Donald Trump? Wait. Mr. Mansfield. No, that one. Enablers for 200. Enablers for 200. Good. A member of Senate leadership who recently said funding the Pentagon at 886 
billion dollars would mean defense is radically underfunded. Anybody? Uh, I don't know the answer. Oh. Who well. is Mitch McConnell? You knew that. Mr. Khan, the, really, the, you can easily be the winner here. I'll take waste for uh, 300. Great choice. Waste for 300. That's a good choice. Ineffective DOD assets that cost about $600 million to build and are now being decommissioned before the end of their useful life. Mm-hmm. Anybody? I'm drawing a blank there. Come on. I'm sorry. What are littoral combat ships? You're familiar with this program. This one on. Can you imagine being one of the officials from the government brought to Capitol Hill to testify in this incredible environment here. This is your government at work, everybody. We do this every day on Capitol Hill. With regard to Congresswoman Katie Porter of California, we thank you, knowing that we will have a new champion someday. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.